0: Miss the show, no problem. On point and on podcast, advance polls are open, but voter turnout is way lower than what we've seen in past years. We've got half the polling venues open because of COVID. So voter turnout could be the worst we've seen in years, but could it lead to challenges of the election results if people say there was a vote suppression? We'll talk about that. China issuing a very clear threat that Canada will pay a price if Erin O'Toole is elected and implements new, tougher policies on the regime. What would those consequences look like? And are these big anti-vax protests actually moving the needle? I'd say they are, but in the wrong way. We will talk about that and much more. Let's get talking.
1: This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.
2: I did not want her to lie. I would never do that. I would never ask her that. That is simply not true.
0: Yeah, as usual, women always experience Justin Trudeau's lies differently. Alex Pearson with you on this Monday, September 13th. I hope you had a terrific weekend. Seven days. Yes, we are into the last week. We're racing towards voting day. And um, I voted on Saturday. I went up to the advanced polls. And all I can tell you is to uh, pack your patience. Because I went really early. I was one of the first people in line. And it still took me a good 40 minutes to go through the process. Because they barely let anybody else inside the building. And a few observations I take. Those lined up around me were very motivated voters. And so they were willing to take time on a weekend, get out there and do their thing. So they were going to wait no matter what. But they were also, as I overheard, irritated that they had to vote in an election they didn't want. The problem is, with the setup we've got here, a majority of people, I think, in this country are not going to get to vote. And Elections Canada, uh, when you look at what they've got, they've set up half the polling stations this election because of covid so when you look at a city like toronto there are 20 polling stations in total versus the normal 80 ish that they would have so you're going to have to travel further to vote you're going to have to wait longer rain or shine and now advanced polls close uh, tonight and that'll be it and when you look at the numbers for advanced voting what they've got so far, only a million point three people cast their ballot this weekend. Sounds like a lot? No. In 2019, 4.7 million voted in advance polling. That's a pretty big drop. Far less than what we expected. And also, as far as mail-in ballots, remember we were told it'd be about 5 million? Well, they've only sent out about 800,000 mailing kits. So, even those are not as high as we were told. And getting people to vote in this country at the best of times is a very hard thing, but a pandemic, election that no one wanted, where we've got voting made a lot more difficult, I mean we could very well see the lowest voter turnout we've ever seen in this country. And that does not bode well for Mr. Trudeau, because conservative voters will wait. They'll wait all day to vote. They won't leave. Whereas some of the younger demographics, they're going to drive and see those lineups and say, Let's go to pub night. Forget this. So I suspect a lot of people will look at the delays and say, pass. Wasn't all that motivated anyway. So um, depending on how many people get a chance to vote, and we're going to talk to Duff Conacher about this because it is uh, something he and I talked about this morning, there could be some challenges after the fact to the results because some people could say, my vote was suppressed. I could not get out to vote. There weren't enough opportunities given. So I hope I'm wrong, but um, they need to move a lot faster, get a whole bunch more people in, or we are going to see a very disastrous Election Day vote. Normally, I like to vote on Election Day. I would wait for Election Day, and I just, I'm glad I got my vote in. And it still took me time. But here we are, last week of the election, and now we're into the ugly part of this campaign. No holds barred. And, uh, you know, if you're to trust the polling, and if they're as tight as they are, you saw a tone change today a much tougher tone from all the candidates. But uh, basically, Aaron O'Toole came out and said he has very little respect for Mr. Trudeau.
2: What would the sunny ways Justin think of the prime minister we see today? The one who is clinging to power by dividing the country, fostering fear and division, sowing mistruths and misinformation wherever he goes. The one who says he's a feminist, but pressured a woman to lie to cover up his corruption. The one who preaches honesty and transparency while funneling cash to liberal insiders. The one who talks about reconciliation while suing indigenous children. The one who talks about the environment while pumping record emissions into the air. The one who says one thing and then immediately does the opposite. I'd say he's all talk and no action, but this is worse. A person so blinded by his own ambition that he can't see the rot in his own party.
0: Hmm. So there you go. Mr. Uh, O'Toole defining what he thinks this election is about. And it's about accountability and character. Or lack thereof. And he's got lots of material. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould's name, you know, has been uh, coming up a lot in this campaign, in part because she's put it into the campaign. And she's got a very scathing book that drops tomorrow. It's called Indian in the Cabinet, Speaking Truth to Power. And over the weekend, she put out, and I'm sure you read it, this excerpt describing a meeting that she had with Mr. Trudeau days after the SNC scandal broke. And it's a pretty scathing indictment of her now former boss. I mean, she makes it very, very clear that she felt he was asking her to lie about how his team handled the whole thing. And Trudeau denies this, but... Jody Wilson-Raybould also reveals that Mr. Trudeau used the same, you know, she experienced it, different defense that he seems to kind of get away with. And so over the weekend, Mr. Trudeau was on the defense again. And he said, you know, that this issue has been litigated already. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not your decision to make. I mean, you won the election, but you got a minority. And so for the prime minister, or for Justin Trudeau, we got to get out of the habit of calling him that during the election. Um bottom line is, the Federal Ethics Commissioner found that Trudeau had violated conflict of interest rules by attempting to interfere in the corruption case against, against an SNC-Lavalin. So they he did lie. I'm sorry, but they found that he did. But then over the weekend, former Liberal MP Selena Cesar Chavanez, she was on the West Block with Mercedes Stevenson, and she was rattled not just by what she, she had heard, Because she said she, too, experienced the very same kind of aggression.
3: And I wasn't heartbroken. Sorry. I wasn't heartbroken because I felt the hurt. I wasn't heartbroken because of the pain that I felt. I wasn't heartbroken because some of that feeling that was in that room was so familiar to me. I was heartbroken because we keep continuing to reward bad behavior from a prime minister that um, that won a 2019 election had a majority and and a minority government. So for six years, continues to say there is more to do.
0: Yeah, he also says now is the time for real leadership. And I thought to myself, that's a weird thing for a prime minister to say. You've had six years. Was that, was that just like a warm up? Like where you just pretend? What what was that? But. Miss Chevenez, she had a very vivid blue dress on and she said that that was no accident. She's not voting for liberal for the first time in her life. She says she's hoping others are going to do a gut check and not reward the kind of behavior that she says Trudeau has shown
3: repeatedly. I'm very much a liberal at heart, but I, I would say that in this particular in this particular instance in 2021, I don't mind voting for my local representative, Malia Shahid, who is a conservative. I've never done that in my life, um, but at, at this particular time. Maybe we have to think about doing things differently. Maybe we have to think about leadership differently. And maybe we think it needs to think about a leadership of a G7 country and what we tolerate as Canadians, what we accept as Canadians as the right thing to do. Uh, We have an opportunity in this election to do things differently. And I hope that the Liberals really think about that and distance themselves from a leader who during the debates, instead of responding to Anna May Paul in a way that has humility decided to then say, oh, I won't take lessons from you. Maybe that was an opportunity for him to understand that and acknowledge the way he has treated some people and by extension, treated Canadians.
0: That ain't gonna happen. So look, I don't know if there'll be any consequence for Trudeau in the last week with this book coming out and uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould doing the talking circuit. It's hard to say. I mean, it'll certainly remind people about this ugly chapter, um, and for those saying, well, it's very opportunistic. I mean, the book was supposed to come out last year. So if she did this on purpose, I mean, it's hard. I mean, she, maybe they're cresking, but it's hard to think how the publishing house would be able to predict that we would be in an election right now in a pandemic in a wave four. I mean, the timing's fantastic, but hard to say they planned it. But are they going to use it? Are they going to use an election to sell books? You bloody well right they are. They're there to make money. Nonetheless, Mr. Trudeau says he's never been contacted by the RCMP about this scandal. But uh, Ms. Rabel-Wilson said over the weekend, again knocking him back off message, the RCMP should be looking into this issue. And the bottom line is the Trudeau government refused to give the RCMP access to witnesses. So the RCMP not investigating it? Are they investigating it? I don't know. They've never said it's been two years. So nonetheless, Trudeau's got to deal with, quote, an Indian in the cabinet. I don't know what else she's got to throw at him, but it could maybe move the needle a little bit, but we will see.
2: Every Canadian has met a Justin Trudeau in their lives, privileged, entitled, and always looking out for number one. He was looking out for number one when he called this expensive and unnecessarily, an unnecessary election in the middle of a pandemic a $600 million power grab, an election that has done nothing to stop the fourth wave. It's only made things worse by taking the government's eye off the ball. That's not leadership. It's self-interest. And it's Justin Trudeau through and through.
0: Well, that is Mr. O'Toole on campaign trail today. And Trudeau may not uh, have, you know he may have promised not to have an election in the pandemic, the site of a uh, majority government, and here we are. And not only do Canadians not want the election, but I don't think Elections Canada was at all prepared to hold it. And polling sites have been um, cut in half, in case you didn't know, which means you're going to have to travel further and wait longer than normal. And I went to advance polls over the weekend to vote, and I had to wait a whole lot more Time than I normally do. And if you're not a motivated voter, then most are simply going to stay at home. And already, advanced polls are way down. Only 1.3 million Canadians voted early this year compared to 4.7 million in 2019. That is a massive drop. And low voter turnout does not help Mr. Trudeau, but worse, if people can't vote, one of the things I wondered. Will we end up with a challenged election after Monday's vote? Duff Conacher, co-founder of Democracy Watch and Democracy Education Network, joining me now. Good to have you, Duff. My pleasure. What do you think about, you know, I'm I'm trying to figure out, like, how could Elections Canada not have come up with a better way to get more polling locations, um, given they had, they, they, like, the media knew three, four months out, this was going to be a thing.
4: Yes, um, but they can't actually move to um, hire and train people and, until they know an election is for sure coming. They can't get the appro- appropriations from Parliament and uh, start up. And that's why fixed election dates are so much more fair and, and better, because uh, when the election is on the fixed election date, Elections Canada does know it is going to happen because it's required by law. And uh, can actually do the planning and the, get the money from Parliament to plan and hire and train people. So, so it's, I it's mean, snap elections are just unfair in every way and also put Elections Canada in a bad position to actually give everyone a, a good opportunity, an easy opportunity to vote.
0: Yeah, I mean, you take a, an area like an urban centre like Toronto that normally would have 80-ish polling centres, uh, now it's down to 20. That, that means... I mean, it's hard enough, as you well know, Duff, to get people out at the best of times during election. But you make anything more difficult, let's say it rains, or let's say people have to wait in line for about an hour because they can't have too many people in at each uh, polling centre because of COVID rules, a lot of people, uh, I think I would be concerned, are just going to say, I'm not going to bother.
4: Yeah, and the other problem uh, with COVID uh, and the pandemic uh, being in the fourth wave right now, which Trudeau knew also, mm-hmm. is that... Um, Elections Canada has to find polling stations that work in terms of keeping people spaced out. And that is um, not easy to do. And that's why a lot of the stations locations have been cut as well. Schools are in session with students and uh, and provinces and, and schools are quite rightly resisting having a whole bunch of people walking through the school on Monday while students are in class. Um, again, due to COVID, it's just such a bad idea to have an election uh, during a pandemic, we learned that with Newfoundland and Labrador's election last January, and everybody knew, and uh, Trudeau went ahead and did it anyway. Uh, right. So it's it's just all his fault that this is happening, and it's bad, and it's going to essentially amount to voter suppression overall. Uh, and the mail-in ballots, people can do that, but you have to know how to do it. It's multiple steps compared to going to a polling station and you have to write in the the candidate's name, so you have to know them, mm-hmm. not just the party mm-hmm. it's It's harder, and every step you add is another barrier that's going to reduce voter turnout as well as people having to get it mailed back in time so right. it's, it's and and so when dramatic. I look at the adv-
0: yeah, I mean they were expecting five million uh, in in mail ballots uh, they haven't even sent out eight hundred thousand kits, so that's also way le- you know way down, but when you see the numbers that we are three million shy of what we saw in the last advance polls. What does that tell you? Does that tell you that those are people who didn't care or want to be in this election? Or does that tell you that people are rude? How concerned are you that people didn't take advantage of getting out early?
4: Even without a pandemic, this is a really, really bad time to hold an election. Students, if they're going to college or university, are often moving and setting up a place to live and getting all their courses, everything sorted out. Anyone with kids doesn't come up for air for a couple of weeks because you're trying to get them off to school and get their fall schedule going. People were on holidays uh, in August when the election started. It's just about the worst time. There's a reason we fix election dates for municipalities at the end of October. The reason the U.S. has their fixed election date in uh, early November, that's the time to do it because students are settled in so they can register to vote where they are. People's lives are not busy with the early September transition that many, many people do. Again, anyone with kids in school, it's just a really bad time for an election. Uh, And it was just an entirely selfish, greedy and frankly stupid idea for for Trudeau to be calling an election in mid-August during a pandemic
0: so could we then see a challenge to the results could someone come forward and say look there wasn't enough time for me to vote i couldn't get in and um you know it, could we see anything like that
4: yes we could and it's happened in, in newfoundland and labrador uh where the the election date was switched twice because of covid and ch- other changes were made the mail-in ballot system didn't work uh as well as they were hoping, in part because Canada Post was suddenly flooded with a bunch of ballots, couldn't get them delivered on time and or even processed to have the postmark on them so they'd be counted. And there are a there's a challenge to that overall election as being an illegitimate election that denied people the charter right under section three of the charter to vote in a fair and democratic election. So I wouldn't be surprised, especially if it's very close, to see uh, such a challenge happen after this election.
0: Yeah, exactly what we need uh, in a fourth wave in in an election people already did not want. I wanted to let you also uh, comment on, uh, because it was such a big uh, issue over the weekend, is a comment made by Jody Wilson-Raybould about the RCMP. uh, And she says, well, the prime minister says, well, the RCMP hasn't called me, um, and this issue was settled in the last election. She said, no, indeed, the RCMP should be calling and should be probing the SNC-Lavalin affair. you see why they wouldn't. I mean, Robert Fife, a couple of years ago, I think it was 2019 September, had said that they can't talk to witnesses. They can't talk to anybody. And so it's not that they might not be looking into it. It's more sounds like they can't look into that.
4: There was enough evidence in the election commissioner's uh, August 2019 report for the RCMP to proceed, I think, with an obstruction of justice prosecution against Prime Minister Trudeau and possibly others who also pressured the Attorney General. I mean, it was confirmed that he pressured the Attorney General and also directed others to pressure her. And that was to stop the prosecution. It sounds to me like obstruction of justice. Uh, Since August 2019, the RCMP has not issued a statement. It's ridiculous. The RCMP and Crown prosecutors owe the public full explanation as to whether they're going to prosecute or are investigating and are facing a block. If they're facing a block, go to court and apply uh, to have the cabinet confidence lifted because it's a criminal investigation and the cabinet confidence that Trudeau imposed to try and silence people and keep documents out of the hands of the ethics commissioner must be lifted for the RCMP to be able to do its job. But to sit and here now for two for two years and say nothing—it's totally unacceptable. And they owe the public an explanation. The RCMP and Crown prosecutors must issue a public explanation soon.
0: Oh, it would be nice. I mean, but as far as the concern, the uh, Prime Minister or Justin Trudeau is concerned, uh, this issue was decided in the last election. And you say what to that?
4: Well, no, the criminal charges are not decided by elections. They're decided by, hopefully. RCMP and Crown prosecutors making independent decisions and not just rolling over like like we have seen police forces roll over on these kind of political cases too many times in Canadian history where they just say, oh, well, let's just wait long enough and then people will forget about it, move on to other news, and we'll just drop it and let people walk away who did wrong. It happens again and again especially if someone resigns their office. I think it's actually the Canadian way. If you resign your office or retire, then you will walk away scot-free no matter how bad the wrongdoing was you did in in office because every watchdog, including the RCMP, will roll over and let you walk away with your full pension and and, uh, and no record of wrongdoing. It's unfortunately what happens again and again across the country, including at the federal level. And uh, that's why Democracy Watch is is uh, planning to proceed with a a private prosecution uh, if we don't get an explanation soon from the RCMP and the Crown prosecutors. that We don't need more evidence than what was in the Ethics Commissioner's report.
0: Right. In other words, uh, no matter what happens on September 20th, you guys can take this to court.
4: Uh, The Attorney General can step in and stop it. It would be tough for a Liberal Attorney General to step in and stop it. Mm -hmm. And if the Conservatives win, the Conservative Attorney General likely wouldn't step in and stop it. But it's really, the RCMP and Crown prosecutors, they have a responsibility to do their jobs properly, independently, impartially, and effectively. And that means either prosecuting or explaining why they're not. But to remain silent for two years, they are doing wrong themselves. The RCMP would say, oh, well, we can't make these kind of announcements during elections. Well, not making the announcement is just as bad. It's just as political an act. Not make a, a disclosure or not charge someone during yeah. an election campaign period, as it is to remain silent.
0: Not to mention, they did this the last time there was an election called. They said, "Well, we can't we can't comment on it now." Well, they've had now eighteen months and they still aren't saying anything. Well, so two years.
4: Yeah. Their last yeah. statement was in August of twenty nineteen. Two full years, not a word. That's that's just that is wrongdoing. The RCMP. Not just
0: wrongdoing. And, um, it's it just it's, you wonder why people are so cynical when it comes to politicians and politics. That's one of the reasons. But you know, the last thing the RCMP needs is more Canadians losing faith or trust in what uh, clearly seems to be a, a, an organization that needs a complete um, rip down, top to bottom.
4: They don't have to always issue these kind of statements as to why they're not prosecuting. But in these high-profile cases involving the ministers who oversee the RCMP, the Prime Minister, and PMO, they do have to, because we need a full public explanation as to why they would not prosecute in these kind of cases.
0: We'll see what happens. Uh, Duff, we'll talk again. Appreciate your time on this.
4: Thanks very much for your interest. Take care and stay safe.
0: You as well. That is Duff Conacher keeping an eye on things, and so we'll see what happens with the voting and uh, what the results are or aren't or the turnout is or isn't, but nonetheless... If you're going to vote, you're going to have to pack your patience, maybe an umbrella, because it takes a lot longer in these no-COVID times.
2: No, I will always stand up for Canadian citizens,
0: including the two Michaels.
2: I'll always stand up for our economic interests, trade, security, and I'll always stand up for our values. Canada was a country that led the fight against apartheid. We created an approach globally to human rights And under Mr. Trudeau, we've seen him not even show up for a vote on human rights. We've seen Mr. Trudeau from the very first days being too cozy and completely out of step with the communist regime in China.
0: Well, that is Aaron O'Toole who was asked today about what can only be seen as a threat coming from China. And how this isn't political interference, I don't know. But over the weekend, China's government took a very hawkish stance threatening that if an O'Toole government implements any of its policies against China, then Canada will pay a price. And last week, at the end of the week, O'Toole announced his government would shift trade priorities away from China, including recognizing the Chinese persecution of Uyghurs um, as genocide, ban Huawei, have greater political cooperation with the island of Taiwan. And, of course, all these changes was met with accusations of smears against China by the Chinese government, and it was made very clear that China does not want a conservative government elected, and if O'Toole's chosen and pushes back against China at all, it will, quote, invite counter-strikes from China and Ottawa is the one to suffer. Marcus Kolga, senior fellow over at McDonald laurier Institute, also founder of DisInfoWatch and an expert in all things Russia, Eastern Europe, and Asian uh, territories. Good to have you, Marcus.
1: Thanks for having me on, Alex.
0: So that's a pretty big headline. And uh, when I saw it, I thought, oh, if, if, that, if ever you wanted an endorsement for Aaron O'Toole, he just got that. But that's how's that not interference?
1: It's clearly interference. This is a, a foreign, state-owned... Uh, media outlet, and it's it's generous to call it a media outlet. This is a Mm. a propaganda platform for the Chinese regime um, that Mm. often uh, is used to strike out at the critics of the Chinese government, of the Communist Party. And in fact, it's owned by the Communist Party. Um, Mm. And so when it uh, starts taking shots, uh, I mean, everyone's allowed to have an opinion, but in that article that you're mentioning, I mean, there are clear shots that are taken against Aaron O'Toole uh, personally. Uh, there are, you know, the questions about the platform, about the party, about its position. And really, I mean, trying to sow doubts about the legitimacy of Erin O'Toole as a leader. And so when you start getting into specifics like that, um, you're moving into sort of disinformation propaganda territory. Um, And like I said, there's everyone's allowed to have an an opinion, but this is uh, there's no author for this piece. This is clearly coming from the government in Beijing. Uh, And so, you know, from the past 10 years, when I've been looking at foreign interference, I would uh, say that this article fits definitely squarely in in that category of foreign interference.
0: You know, China's in it for the long game. We know the threat that they are not just to our national security, but we know how far they will go to send their message uh, with the two Michaels being taken into custody. Would it be beyond China if there is a, even a minority um, O'Toole government elected on Monday the 20th? Will they send a message right away?
1: Well, that's a good question. You know, I think that this, uh, this piece that was published is sort of that planting of a, of a flag and a warning shot uh, because the Chinese government is clearly uh, concerned that this is, this is a possibility. Um, you know, you mentioned the fact that that platform, the the conservative platform, um, has some very strong positions on uh, on the conservative uh, platform, and um, and certainly, you know, the NDP is actually also being very strong uh, on on China, and this is uh, this is a, a, a huge concern to the regime. I mean, over the past uh, you know uh, two years, uh, the the Chinese government, despite all of you know the, the ongoing uh, genocide in Xinjiang the incarceration of the two Michaels, and again, Hussein Jalil, who was incarcerated in 2006 and remains in a prison, um, the Chinese government has been getting away with all this sort of a free pass. There have been very few consequences, um, very few costs that have been imposed uh, by the current government for their actions. And I think that they're seeing, when they're looking at the platform, the conservative platform, um, Mm. which does have uh, several measures to hold them to account, the NDP also has, has said that they want to move trade away from China and hold them to account for human rights abuses. Um, you know, if we're looking at a minority government, conservative or even liberal for that matter, if the conservatives in the NDP are coming out strongly against China, then, um, you know, I know these guys are, are concerned. And so this was uh, the purpose of this, uh, of this piece was to send that warning shot across to say, um, you know, we're, we're going to be tough and we're going to take a stand um, after the election.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, we know that um, it, it is an issue. Uh, foreign policy, even though it wasn't discussed in this election at all, which I think is a, a loss for Canadians, it is a big yeah. issue. We have a lot of big geopolitical issues, not just the fall of Afghanistan, but certainly China's role in a new Afghanistan, China's role um, in the two Michaels, uh, China's you know increased national security threat to this country, Huawei. There are a lot of big issues with China and trade. None of it's being discussed, Marcus, and something's got to be done about it. The only person I really have a defined a kind of, um, you know, idea of what they'll do is Mr. O'Toole. This is an area he's been very kind of consistent and strong on. And I don't get the sense that, that anything will change in our stance if either uh, the NDP or the Liberals uh, continue to govern.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a good point. Uh, you know, I've I've been researching all three platforms and sort of trying to uh, compare who's saying what uh, with each party, and and certainly the uh, the Conservative Party uh, does have the most robust platform. Um, you know, they have a plan and a detailed plan for uh, for tackling foreign interference. For example, there's a, there's a robust plan for protecting human rights, whether it's um, the abuses that are going on in Xinjiang and Hong Kong. Uh, or anywhere else in the world, including Russia and Iran um, they will they've committed to using and updating our sanctioning legislation, Magnitsky sanctions, which allows us to freeze the assets of uh, foreign officials who hide their money in Canada. We know this is happening. there are several journalists who have um, researched this, investigated it, and it, it is happening it's, it's, Canada has become a haven for this dark money. Um, and, uh, you know, i, I to all credit to the NDP. They are acknowledging, they have acknowledged these problems as well. And they've presented, uh, you know, certain policies uh, to, to address this. Um, the unfortunate thing about the Liberal uh, plan is that it mentions China, Iran, and Russia just once in the entire platform. And, um, and everything is sort of solved with a catch-all of working with our allies in the G7 and NATO to address these problems. So, you know, right. I guess they get points for acknowledging the problem. But uh, in comparison to the the other two parties, especially the Conservatives, who are offering detailed-specific plans to address them, uh, the Liberals uh, really are, are coming up very short. And that could be one reason why we haven't seen any sort of uh, meaningful debate on foreign policy during this campaign.
0: Well, I would, I would put um, money on that, uh, and I would walk away with that money. Um, you know, just uh, before I let you go, Marcus, I know that you're going to be writing about about this because it's such an important issue, but... Yeah. Let's. I don't know who's going to win on September 20th, but China. we know what China's willing to do. Should Canadians be preparing themselves that more is to come, regardless of who governs? I mean, at some point, we're going to get a decision on the Meng Wazhou order. Uh, we have to at some point make a decision on things like Huawei. Is it, um, you know, should Canadians be prepared for some ugly times ahead?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is, you know, both, whether it's China, Russia, or Iran, um, they use what are called grey zone tactics. So this is disinformation, foreign interference, and intimidation of Canadian activists. And, um, you know, there's there's no reason to believe that after the election that this is going to stop. I think a lot of um, people in Ottawa, including this current government, um, you know, they have a 2016 understanding of all this. And they think that it's just limited, that China just, they focus on the elections, then they stop, along with those other regimes. They don't. They um, don't. Thesis and uh, and most of our intelligence community has warned that the threat that these regimes pose to us is persistent, it's growing, it's not going away. And Canada is among the only G7 countries that really hasn't taken a, a serious look at policy and, and built a robust strategy to protect our democracy and society against these sort of tactics. So um, you know these 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 governments, without any sort of consequences and if we don't have any defenses, they're going to take advantage of that. And uh, continue okay. to try to manipulate us. So it's it's going to be a problem after the election.
0: Stay tuned. All right, Marcus, appreciate your insight into this, and we'll chat again. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Alex. Anytime.
0: Marcus Kolga joining us. He is with the McDonald Laurier Institute, but also founder of Disinfo Watch. So we will watch and see what happens.
4: In all fairness, I'm totally uh, in favor of people protesting whatever they like. I think that's one of the beautiful parts of Canada. But I think obviously. You shouldn't be protesting in front of a hospital. We know that ambulances are coming in from all directions. Patients are coming in from all directions. Healthcare workers are busy. There's very sick, vulnerable people inside. Like, this is not the place to have a giant commotion. It makes no sense whatsoever. Please protest whatever you want. But, but uh, you know, I, I, it just doesn't make, any, <laughs> doesn't make any sense to be protesting in and around the hospital. It's actually a bit ridiculous when you think about it.
0: And it won't do anything. So that is Dr. Isaac Bogash, who everyone knows, and he's commenting on this countrywide anti-vax campaign that uh, was held across uh, the country today at different hospitals. And um, this is the brainchild of two former nurses who were fired for not just their involvement in the January 6th riots in Washington, but they have made their anti-vax feelings very well known. And so I guess they've chosen to turn their backs on their profession and have started these protests where they go and stand out in front of hospitals and harass frontline workers, people have been spit on, apparently uh, you had ambulances being obstructed, and then they hassle patients. I mean, really? None of these people that I've listed off have anything to do with vaccine policy, and yet these are the targets. Andrea Kevin is an emergency registered nurse here in Toronto. She will not be talking about where she works because, like most others, does not want to be targeted or bothered by these campaigns. Good of you to join us. Hi, thank you so much for having me tonight. So why do you think um, they are protesting, you know, frontline workers? I mean, it, is it to, because they know that they'll get the audience, they'll get the attention? What, what is it about these protests that, that they think is effective? Uh, I think that
5: calling themselves frontline nurses, I I think that that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to garner attention. And I know that I speak on behalf of tens of thousands of nurses um, as part of a group that I help moderate in that they do not and should not identify as nurses. They do not speak for us as nurses. Um, They were relieved of their positions as nurses and their licenses are at risk. Um, but yeah, I, I think that using the term nurse is is actually quite damaging to the work that nurses have done, both within the hospitals and and uh, f- for our current site in the crisis with, of nurses.
0: You know, once upon a time, and oh, seems like an eternity now ago that we go out front and bang pots and pans in thanks to frontline workers like yourselves for all you guys do. And now it has just become so politicized and so nasty. Um, and, and there are those, as you well know, Andrea, in healthcare that are choosing not to get vaccinated. And for whatever reason, that's the choice mm-hmm. they've decided to make. Mm-hmm. But this is different. We've got all sorts of different groups across this country that are focusing their attention on, um, on where they know, uh, I guess the cameras will go. Um, how much, uh, co- how much concern is there among you and your colleagues that this is either the starting point or this is just, uh, you know, the point of things getting worse? Oh,
5: that's a good question. I, I think that there is a huge fear among our colleagues. I help moderate this group of greater than twenty thousand called Ontario Nurses United. It's a private member group of nurses, and today the amount of fear anger, mm-hmm. um, discouragement on this site. And I want to say fear is, is probably most prominent. Someone posted, if, if I may quote this post, yeah. it was a, a picture, and this has been yeah, going apparently that. around with a shotgun. Did you see this?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a woman holding a, a shotgun oh. with the caption, um, maybe we should bring that thing tomorrow and uh, it'll get their attention or something along the yeah, lines. It, it, and,
5: we are not it, only going to protest, but get inside and show the world COVID is fake and we're already suffering a nurse shortage. And I don't know how many nurses, I don't want to go to work. (laughs) This isn't what we signed up for. And to think that this is driven by two people who call themselves nurses is, is is horribly misrepresentational. And it's, and it's
3: state,
0: it's not just those things, Andrea. It's dangerous because then they tell other healthcare workers or they can tell people as a healthcare worker, this is my advice to you. And people will actually listen to them. And that's the unfortunate thing is that they can go under the guise of being a healthcare frontline worker exactly. and spread a lot of information. How much of this, though, do you blame on, you know, the politicians? I mean, the, Mr. Trudeau has chosen this issue, vaccine mandates, as something to campaign on. How much of the blame do you, do you put on the rhetoric?
5: I think that it's important to, as much as I want to also politicize this, I mean, the campaign, the fact that we even have an election right now, yeah. is discouraging to so many people. Um, but even nurses right now who would normally vote a certain way are finding mm-hmm. themselves completely divided. And this is, again, being seen on our site, completely divided and unsure who to vote for. And to then come out and say, well, we're going to criminalize protests in front of, hospitals and blocking of this shouldn't even be this should be policed this should already be policed and i don't want to bring i don't think the politics of this is important as so much as the fact that no politician has really commented or made a commitment to the crisis of nursing and that is the shortages you know and to to just bring back your 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 um, previous point about the fact that these two nurses cultivated a following based on the fact that they call themselves nurses. And that's just, I know that some of the people who follow them are, you Mm -hmm. know, educated. Uh, The, the fact that this biased ideology that they have created is able to attract people and that they can use them as this medical, Oh look, nurses say this again, Mm -hmm. it diminishes the work that nurses have been doing across this country to point out the public health crisis and yeah. Yeah. To politicize it is, is
0: I I don't really know how to comment on that, to be honest. Um, Reckless. I I would put it in the reckless category because I mean, we we just know that once the election's gone, you -hmm. guys and society at large are going to have to still deal with this issue because it's not going to go away and it's just going to continue to be more polarized. And so, You know, here we are, um, you know, in this situation, and I've talked to experts before, and I'm sure you have too, Andrea, but they say, like, doing it this way and putting people on their defensive actually makes them dig in their heels harder and gets it's harder to get them vaccinated after the fact. Do you agree with that? I agree in part. Um,
5: I, I can bring to point there's only a handful of nurses that I work with who are not vaccinated and of those, only one of them is adamant. Oh, I'm saying in general, them.
0: not just nursing, but getting people who are hesitant.
5: Right. And and just yeah. to further my point, those those people who I work with, because I work mm-hmm. in um, one of the facilities in Ontario that they will lose their position, um, yeah. they just needed a reason. They're like, you know what? You're right. Time is right. Time is now. It's time to get vaccinated. Th- those It's a small minority digging their feet in, and it's that small minority that has the loudest voice and is getting the most Mm -hmm. attention. And I think that that is an error. I think that we need to not give them the attention. We need to not mention the group that's, you know, making these protests happen. I think that giving the attention onto this is dangerous. As you say, it's extremely dangerous. It's extremely reckless. It causes an already strange system full of people who are already half a foot out the door to say that's it. My life, my yeah. safety, my, my sanity, you know, other comments on our group are, are you yeah. know, this one nursing comment, my PTSD is already at a peak. I can't go in. I can't pass yeah. groups of people anymore. And now you're, you're threatening, again, the care of, of the people. And yeah, I'm
0: up against the fun. clock Andrea on a hard break. I do have to get to um to news. I do appreciate you very much speaking to me because I do know that healthcare workers like yourself are feeling a lot of stress from this and also like they're going to be targeted. So I do appreciate you giving us some time. Thank you so much for for hearing us out. Thank you. And I thank you for everything you do. That's Andrea Gavin, who's one of uh, registered nurse here in Toronto, dealing with this. And uh, unfortunately, we have to talk about it. But again, how should we talk about it? Thanks for tuning in. Of course, you can join us live Monday through Friday, starting at 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson on Point. And this is Global News Radio.